It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Halloween season. It's my absolute favorite holiday of the whole year. Don't you love Halloween, Mr. Fox? Well, um, yeah. Oh, 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 wait. Maybe after last Halloween in New Orleans? Maybe not. Hey, everybody. If you can fight your fear and stay until the end of this podcast episode, then we will share what actually happened to me last year, Halloween, and NOLA. Our topic tonight, what do females everywhere fear the most? Is it Michael Myers? Is it Freddy? Is it Jason? No. It's vaginal fisting. Good evening, everyone. Just like on Halloween, we have a treat for you tonight. Great accent, Mr. Fox. But you are Romanian. And by the way, hey, later, I have a trick for you. (laughs) Tonight, we have special guests joining us in a frightening discussion all about Halloween and vaginal fisting. Then we'll have a great discussion on how Halloween and Dom's submission are related. Are you ready to get the spooktacular podcast started? I am. Let's do it. All right. Do you want to know a secret? Do you want to have a secret? A dirty little secret. A secret that you only share with your spouse. A secret that is so magical and so intimate in ways you can only imagine. Come on, you must be curious. Marriage has a new secret, an accessory of sorts. Come fall down our rabbit hole and we will share our secret about the wonderland of intimacy. We can give you all the edge without your marriage ever getting cut. Welcome to Married with a Twist podcast. Welcome to the Married with a Twist podcast. We have a special treat for everyone tonight. It's not Michael Myers, but rather a guest host couple. These guests are going to tell us about their experiences around the topic of fisting. They're here to help us all become a little less frightened. Everyone, would you please help us welcome Star and Sergey? Before we get talking to them, I just want to wish everybody a happy Halloween. It's the best time of the year. But today, let's just start with the quick definition of fisting. Fisting is a term that a person uses when a couple or a person participates in a sexual activity that involves inserting a digit, a hand, or even a fist into the vagina or rectum. But today, don't fret. The rabbit hole will only go so deep. We'll only be discussing vaginal fisting today. All right. Like that's not enough, right? Hey, let's begin this haunt <laughs> by, by letting our special guests introduce themselves tonight. Good evening, Star and Sergey. Would you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Good evening. Good evening. Um, so Star and Sergey, we are both, we're 32 and 33. We've been married. Um, 11 years, 11 years, together 15. Uh, We have three little kiddos. Uh, They are five, three, one and a half, and one due here in just a few months. Uh, We've been BS for three and a half years now. I can't believe it's that long already. And we've been part of the um, DSM community uh, for that, pretty much that whole time. um, Look what we've caused. And then... Yeah, right. The <laughs> rabbit hole has run really deep. And we, I guess, are a little bit, I guess, our unique thing is that we're sadomasochists too um, and full time DSM. All right. Awesome. I got to say, too, that like real sadomasochism, like it's not really that uh, common, I don't think, really. So you two are going to be great for this episode. <laughs> we feel blessed that we have each other and we kind of have that built-in relationship with each other. Yeah. And you guys have had a really long-term relationship, it sounds like, right? Did you say like 15 years together? Yeah, we're high school sweethearts. I love it. Where's, yeah. my, where's my applause button now, right? One up for the height, another one for the high school sweethearts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a little 
strange though, honestly, is like the length of relationships for people that are in DSM. I mean, it tends to be, there are a lot of high school sweetheart couples here, I think a lot more than I would have ever expected. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. So let's kick off the questions here. Are you guys ready? We're ready. All right. Okay. You want to do the first question? I will. So we're going to ask you first, where did your interest in fisting begin? Was it before or after you began DSM? Um, my first interest, it would have been after DSM. And I really didn't even think much about fisting until Char and I went through her hard limit and what she was willing to try list. We kind of had a list made out and we went through that. And um, that was one that made the cut. <laughs> so <laughs> we kind of <laughs> went from there and um, it just ended up happening one during one scene. Yeah, I just read about it, you know, in passing or seen it in porn in passing, you know, since DS, like before that, we weren't, we weren't kinky at all. So it never came up, of course. Um, but it wasn't honestly anything I ever really wanted to try, except for like when you're in the moment and you just want more of whatever he gives you. But yeah, like you said, it just kind of happened one night during a scene. So. Okay. I, I think that's a, that's really interesting. So uh, when you were doing the limits list, it was actually something that she didn't scratch off. She didn't say, no, that's a hard limit. Correct. Okay. Yeah. We scratched off the, the other fisting. <laughs> it's still on the no list. <laughs> the rectal fisting, you mean? Yes. <laughs> but I was... Hard limit. Yeah. This one wasn't necessarily that hard of a limit, so... And then Sir Jay went, that's on my to-do list. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> It's like, we're, we're going there. So, all right. So I am, on, I'm, I'm really curious about this whole process because I think this is going to be something that, uh, it's, I don't even think LK has a hard limits list. I mean, she does, but it's clearly everything's always well within side what would be on my hard limits list. So we really talk more about mine than hers. But this will probably be a part of a rabbit hole that I could see us going down. So um, for myself, I really am curious, like, how do you get everything started, right? Like, how do you prep for this big moment in time? Um, prep work for this is I may basically, I do, we do not glove up or I do not glove up. <laughs> um, star, that'd be a total turnoff for Star. She's not into the... Um, doctor medical medical scene at all (laughs) (laughs) so we skip that part but i do make sure um you want to have short nails and you don't want to scratch or cause any tears or anything like that and then um make sure you have plenty of lube and you're ready to go yeah i guess like prep for us is um more of like how my psychology works and our trust level is we have our limits list and so if I don't know what's coming, I do better. So I prep the same way every night, you know, just clean up wise, you know, showering and whatever, so that whatever he wants to do, he's free to do with me. And I don't have to like go through the mental challenge of getting myself ready. I'm just ready for him whenever then. Okay. I mean, that's pretty interesting right there. So, and that's in my mind as well. Is it, so it's not something where Sergey preps you and says, Hey, we're going to do this kind of scene tonight and you do something different. So like psychologically, you're just ready to go for whatever he's desiring that night. Yeah. I, I just work better that way. And I know like I've talked to LK before about, um, how you, you talk about your scenes and everything ahead of time. But for me physically and mentally, it doesn't work as well that way. I'm just better if we do it, if he reads me and we just kind of flow like that. It works better for my psychology. Otherwise, I kind of psych myself out of something. So, right. So it's not a plan. Yeah. So it's not a plan scene. It's just something that may happen during your scene or your play. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because that was another question I have for Sergey. Is it something? Because like when I go into a scene, like oftentimes it isn't or doesn't turn out exactly what I had in my mind. So that was a question that I had. Is it something that's always planned or is it kind of like in the moment, like this is the direction that you feel and, and that's where you take it? It's almost always in the moment. Um, the first few times we ever seen, 
I would write a few things out and it seemed like the more I wrote out, the more mechanical I became and the less into. So I don't write anything out anymore. I just have a few things laid out and a few things in the back of my mind and we just go from there. Yeah, we're real similar because my first couple, like I had this vision, like a movie in my mind. And after about the first two minutes, it wasn't there. And I kind of had, it wasn't at the place in my mind where it was, right? And I had to make that decision. Do I force it down this path or do I just let it naturally progress into whatever it's going to be? So, and also the glove up, that was a, I was real curious about that. And when you say it, I try to visualize it. I'm thinking about the position of the hand and probably... The, the fingernails and stuff probably aren't as important, are they? Yeah, for like the beginning of it, maybe. But yeah, as it progresses, it becomes less important. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and like they do have an actual fisted glove that's made out of like a very plat, like soft, rubbery plastic. So it says it does help people that might... You know, maybe they're supposed to have a big hand and the knuckles or whatever. Like, it does help things kind of slip in a little bit better if yeah. you use a glove or, you know, whatever. But um, so overall, what do you guys, when you're thinking time, I know you're not sitting there timing yourself with a stopwatch or anything, but how long does does that really take approximately, you think, a fisting scene? Hmm. It really depends on the foreplay and mindset. Yeah, I always try to set a couple hours away for a scene. Ours usually don't seem to take too much longer than a few hours, and that's about all the time we have with keeping the kids in their bed. And yeah, you're, and you're lucky to have that, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. You can only keep the door locked for so long. Right. <laughs> it really depends a lot. Like we've had quick fisting scenes and that really depends a lot of like how turned on you are and how lubricated you are um that determines how pliable you are too so it's not something that can be rushed unless your body is like already prepped for it that makes sense sure it sure does i think it does so like when we're talking about foreplay what what type of foreplay it like is involved when you guys decide to do something like this um, pretty intense stimulation on the outside to start with. And then um, I usually keep up with that for quite a while. And um, before I even try to start fisting or anything like that, we she has multiple orgasms before I even get there. So she is ready and relaxed. And basically she's ready for anything at that point. Yeah, it's best when you've like had too many organ orgasms to count or that you care to count or you forgot that you could count. <laughs> and that last one especially. You're just, to, <laughs> you're just to that do anything to me please stage. Because then your body, like all of your hormones are fully released and everything is much more relaxed and very lubricated um, just in response to the orgasms and his stimulation. So, and like I said, that's where it kind of varies. Some some nights that takes a lot longer than others, but it usually is a matter of multiple orgasms and how fast he can make me do that sometimes determines how fast we get to the fisting part. Uh. Super interesting. So so um, before we actually get into like the technique and all that, but... Um, can each one of you tell us like maybe, maybe what your fears were, maybe then that other people out here that's listening to us will, will feel not so alone and, and tell us a little bit about each one of your fears when, before you started doing this. Sure. Um, I guess, well, our first time was a surprise to me, but you know, afterwards thinking on it, even like right afterwards, it's like, oh my gosh, is the is it going to go back into place? Is it still going to feel good to him afterwards? I think that's probably everybody's fear, right? We work really hard with our Kegels and everything, make everything so nice and tight. And then we yes. <laughs> want him to insert his whole fist and hopefully it goes back and it does. So just put that out there. But that was my biggest fear, I think. 
You didn't have any fish. I didn't okay. really have any uh, <laughs> there. You know, she had uh, three kids prior, or two kids, I guess, prior, probably, before we really started, and everything snaps back pretty quick. <laughs> I, I would think that would be probably one of the most common questions we would have, right? Like, I, I, it certainly is for me. I have, when I start visualizing doing it in my own mind, I start developing a list of questions I'd want to ask you guys. So, like, how would it really happen? But that was, that would be one of my concerns or fears. Like, what, you know, am I damaging something? So, it really is a stretchy organ. So. Yeah, a baby's head comes out, you know, a baby's head comes out of there. So, you know, you have to kind of think on that pretense. Yeah. And a lot of it's, you know, similar hormones that are reacting on your body. So if you can stimulate those hormones to help you relax, then you can accomplish a lot of the same thing. Absolutely. So the, the next thing that I'm curious about is like, LK had mentioned a minute ago, like techniques, but I'm also curious from what Sir Jay had said when he talks about um, simulating everything very well. So I'm I'm curious about your techniques, and I'm also more specifically, I'm curious, like, to, is there something that you do specifically for the orgasms? Like, I guess what I'm wondering is, it, it, like, what kind of simulation? Is it a lot of wand, or what kind of stimulation gets things moving? Um, it's usually a lot of wand, like you had mentioned, and um, that's usually yeah. Mostly is. Well, I'm a masochist, so you know, pain-related orgasms for me do a lot, um, but clitoral orgasms do a lot too. So either he's causing a lot of pain, and I respond to that, or he's using a wand or something like that on me usually, or a mixture of both, probably. Or a mixture, usually a mixture. <laughs> and, and I can see that because LK is the same way. I wouldn't say she's a masochist at all, but pain, like when that pleasure gets there, the pain becomes a, I mean, I think it's still a little bit of pain, but yeah. it really drives the pleasure at that point. But uh, And I wouldn't say yeah. she's a masochist, but like it becomes a whole orchestra of that, mm-hmm. right? Or symphony of that. And I think it would vary for each couple, like what, what stimulates them the most, what gets them out of their headspace the most would be the most effective. Yeah. Good point. So for techniques, uh, sir, Justin, like how do you, how do you, I guess, how do you start, right? Like how do you begin from not doing it to getting your fist in? Well, I think when we had first started, we, I usually start with the wand and, and, Obviously, have a blanket down ahead of time under her. I would um, eat a kiddie pool, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have a passion blanket, and it's wonderful. Yep. Um, start with the wand usually, and then um, once I feel she's ready, I just start with um, usually two fingers right away, and a few orgasms later, the third one goes in, and then I just slowly go from there, and then. Once the fourth is in, um, you're pretty much there. You can slide your hand in and then curl your fingers and let her relax. Okay. Yeah, I'm either like really distracted with something he's doing or just so highly stimulated that I'm just ready for it. So, so I got to ask too. Go ahead. Um, with Star, we sometimes hardly need lube at all. <laughs> so it just kind of depends on your sub there. But <laughs> sometimes we don't even have it out. Yeah, lucky girl. That changes with age, but you're very lucky. Yeah, I know. I'll enjoy it while we're younger. <laughs> yes, yes, because I, I was like that. But then life comes along and dries you up a little and bit. I would say that, I know. I would say that, like, Squirting can be kind of counterproductive as a prep because it is more like a washing off of the lubricant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's a tr- so that's very true. I would kind of avoid the if you're planning on doing that later in the evening. Try to avoid squirting simulation um, because that can be counterproductive. Absolutely. 
So this was another question that I was going to have, but maybe you aren't the right person to ask, but maybe you are. I'm curious, like what kind of lube you would use? Cause I would think you'd want something really good, right? Something that lasts a long time. Do you guys use any lube at all? Very very okay. All right. Cause that's, that was, as I'm trying to visualize this happening with LK and I, I was wondering like, like, what would I use not to, you know, so it was so pleasurable and. Yeah. I'm reading. I've done it just, or some reading I've done. It's a uh, water-based mm-hmm. would be the best and safest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I guess that was my other fear. Like safety wise, um, you are like opening up to the cert, like getting, up and close and personal with the cervix and I'm pregnant half the time but um, nothing has ever seemed to nothing has bothered that either but I'd want to use the safest you know lubricant and everything to avoid any infections or irritation Uh, yeah absolutely so and I'm going to ask this question too I feel kind of silly asking it but it's super personal but I mean we are talking about fisting right so (laughs) how much much more personal does it get but I'm curious and again, it's just my mind's eye thinking about this scene. And I think I know the answer, but I am wondering. So like when, so you use a lot of wand to get it to the point where you could get your hand in so you could begin fisting. So when your hand is in, do you go back to the wand or is that just way too much simulation? Like, would you put the wand back on at that point? It's usually put down at that point and okay. I can use my other hand since it's so sensitive there. If I want extra simulation down there. Okay. Otherwise, the wand is pretty much down at that point most of the time. All right. I think it, I might die. What did you say? <laughs> I think I might die if I have fisting in the that's, wand. That's, at the same time. Right? <laughs> you know, like in a guy's mind sometimes. No, you just right. like pass out. I just start seeing stars and I'd be like, good night. That's exactly what I'm asking, though, because sometimes guys just think more and more and more is better, right? It's always Not better. Always. <laughs> Keep sacking it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I have to ask, though, for everybody else listening out there, have you guys ever had a rough scene doing this? And if so, you know, what what did you do? What happened? Yeah, we're trying to kind of think of that. And I think, like, the worst thing, like, if I'm just not mentally there that night, like, for whatever reason, I'm not lubricating well. And that usually, if I can't get wet, then... I just kind of lose it mindset wise. And that's because I'm younger and I'm not used to, you know, dealing with that. And sometimes it's like whatever's going on at work that day or whatever. I just can't let it go. Um, other times I'm not hydrated. So sir has done a really good job at training me to stay hydrated. But if I fail in that, that does make a huge difference. Um, and then like pregnancy hormones can make you dry too. So um, that's been it's really hard to get loose if you're not lubricated and it just kind of makes it impossible. You want to do it, but you can't force it in either. And so we just, we revert to something else. We move on. Yeah. The mind is the, yeah. The mind is the largest sex organ. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important. And that's where like him knowing and reading me, um, that, you know, can try for so long and then we just need to move on. It's not happening. So not be too discouraged about that. Which I, I think is so important because like how many scenes have I pivoted on, right? Like, like Sergey, like you were saying in my mind, like I try to look at it, I describe it to guys as like, I have a mic or a macro look, you know, like a 40,000 foot view of what I want to do. And I don't have it down to every little tiny detail because it seldom gets to that. So it leaves you room to pivot and do something yeah. else if if uh, it's just not going the way that you thought it would. Which for me, honestly, happens, I would say, at least half the time. I wind up somewhere completely different than where I, my mind was when I started. Um, right. So We haven't ever gotten hurt or anything like that, though. We just take our time. And, yeah. It's not working. We switch to the next. Yep. Right. Which, perfect. Uh, which I think is really important to say, right? Yeah, that's perfect advice. And that's like, Sergey, you were talking about how slow you went with a, you know, two fingers and three. And like, I think that's important for people to see that. And you were talking about going slow and, and working into it, which I think is critical. Yeah. And at, at any step, at any step, you know, it starts to falter, then you just stop and you move on. 
Don't get yep. all don't get all in your head about it. Just move on. So speaking of moving on. <laughs> so and this is a big one. This is a big one too in my mind as we're talking about this. Like again, when I'm trying to visualize myself taking this path or a similar path, but it would get into aftercare. Like so when that scene is over, when she's, um, it sounds like after 30 orgasms, she's completely going to be spent, <laughs> right? <laughs> like literally. <Pretty> much. <laughs> so, and being fisted on top and all, I mean, it just sounds like she's going to be through. So can I ask you guys, like, what does after, what does, uh, and I, I realize it's different every time, but kind of what does the aftercare look like for that type of scene? I usually start with rolling her in the right spot in the bed so she's not taking up the whole bed. <laughs> and then, uh, Sounds so familiar. Get, uh, <laughs> usually get her cleaned up. We have, um, we have baby wipes everywhere in our house. So we start there, we get cleaned up, and then we got the heat blanket on and just sit next to each other for quite a while. And then at um, some point in the night, I do make sure she gets up and uses the restroom. Yeah, I'm usually just a limp noodle, and he drags me around the bed into position. <laughs> but then once I kind of come to, he he makes me get up and go to the bathroom every time to avoid urinary tract infection. Yeah, UTI is no joke. When you yeah, say he drags you around, drags you around the bed to the position he wants it, so it kind of ends the way it began. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, but. Uh, and again, I'm going to dig a little deeper here because I'm really genuinely curious for myself. Like, is there any special type of aftercare you have to do for it after it? No. And <laughs> okay. So <laughs> It just kind of goes back to normal. Sometimes I'm sore the next day. It just kind of depends, like, how rough he is once he's in there because you can be as gentle or as rough as you want to be. And we know that Sir Jay likes to be rough and I like that. So if it's a particularly rough night, then I am sore the next day. Um, but usually not like enough to deter me too much from playing the next day. <laughs> usually you're sore everywhere down there. I'm usually just sore. So how long does that usually last? Is that like a day or two? Or are we um, talking like a week? Yeah. No, I think it, like the roughest time was maybe two, maybe three days, but usually just a day. Okay. Just kind well, of that's tender. Good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it's not like inside, usually like not inside is tender. It's just the outside. Yeah. And do you find that after you do that, that you feel more turned on to do more things after, say, having a fisting scene? Do you feel like that that kind of plays through your mind and in your body a little bit longer than, say, like just a normal scene? I, I feel like you have like a sense of accomplishment as a sub that you've submitted that much, and that always feeds your submissive into wanting to go farther and do more. That's how I feel about it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Can But going on, keep going on that. It's like, so can you guys share individually, like, how you feel fed from from doing this type of scene? Um, I enjoy the total submission I get from Star um, during the scene. And she trusts me to read her body and give her what we both want. Um. And I enjoy pushing her as well. Um, she enjoys to be pushed, and I enjoy pushing. So that kind of feeds me as a dominant as well. Yeah, that's the that's the circle. I was going to say, it sounds like a pair, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's the circle. And as far as, like, the physical, like, what do I get out of it physically? It really is stimulating, like, every part of your vagina at one time. So it's, like, the best of all the world. And then if he's stimulating you outside of that, it's even better. Um, The orgasms are ridiculous and hurt as much as some of the masochist things sometimes because they're so strong because everything is being stimulated. But um, the biggest connection that I get is that we're physically connected like 
to the max. Like I remember when we first, like the first few fisting scenes we had, a little personal, but like reach down and feel his hand, but it's not his hand. It's only his wrist because his whole hand is there. And that's like mind blowing. And I could orgasm off of just that, you know, the first few times just realizing that that was happening. And so it's just like the ultimate connection between the dom and sub, like submit that your body can submit in that kind of way to him. Yeah, it's like he's really touching your heart. Like not just yeah. you know, it is it's it's not just the vagina. It's also he's touching your heart, like he's internally. Re- he's reaching up and touching your heart. Yeah. No joke. <laughs> I'm I'm that's what it feels like. So I gotta say now that you said that the orgasms are ridiculous, like everybody's probably gonna be <laughs> like, wait a minute, I want this. Never considered it before, but now all of a sudden I want some of this. Yeah. Well, that that is part of the the be careful thing of like what I never read or seen or you don't see it at like the end of a porn scene or something because um, I always cut away at the end. But because the orgasms are so hard, you kind of like tighten up against that. So when he goes to remove his hand, he does need to be careful because you can start to tighten up at the end of the scene. Um, so he just needs to take his time taking his hand out. Cause that can be the most painful part for me is at the end when he's taking his hand out because I'm so hyper stimulated at that point as well that it hurts occasionally. Yeah. That's uh, a, a golden nugget of advice then. Right. Cause I'm not sure I would have thought of that. Yeah, absolutely. And as a woman, sometimes like, it, I guess it just depends with me. It's, I think it's happening more as I get older. But um, after you orgasm a couple, after I orgasm a couple times, I my body will say, "Okay, you've done it," and then it kind of does tighten everything up. Like, and you're like, "Wait a second, I was having a good time," you know. And then it's kind of like you have to like kind of start over of of making sure I can relax back into it again. Sometimes yeah. my body will say, "Okay, well, you did it, and it was fabulous." You know, and then that's it. Right. So even when like he's like he's done and he pulls out and you have that like gasp of, ah, he's gone. Well, that's like this on steroids. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have one magical last question or spook, spooky question, right? (laughs) But what would you share with all the banners out there? Okay, that they can't really find on Google or articles. What things that they fail to mention? Is there some kind of really great advice you guys could just give everyone that's most important thing out of every everything? My advice would be is don't go into it thinking that this is exactly what I'm going to do. Um, it doesn't always work out that way. And the most the worst thing you can do is just stop completely and walk away. Um, switch it up and you'll try it next time and you can talk about it more after, but always have a second option in mind. Yeah. It's just like kind of learning to learning or embracing like squirting or anything. It's a combination of like really intensely focusing on what your goal is and complete and utter surrender of your mind and body. Um, to let him do whatever he's going to do to you. And it's an odd combination, but mastering that combination, I think is the key to make it all work. Excellent advice. I mean, so it's don't force it. Right. And then it's complete surrender. Sounds, sounds like a DS coupling to me. That's right. I love it. The ultimate connection. Yeah. Well, I thank you guys so much for sharing your experiences. And hopefully tonight you've helped so many couples cast away. And I don't mean in like the Tom Hanks kind of cast away, but in a witch's spell (laughs) spooky cast away. And I'm sure that you guys have helped everyone cast away some of their fears of fisting. So I'm just going to say, please stay tuned for part two of our special Halloween edition of Married with a Twist podcast. We've been talking about easing our fears tonight, but what causes them? Why do some of us like fear or to be scared? And why do some couples even get off on fear? 
Join us for part two of our special Halloween episode. How is Halloween just like dominance and submission? You're the prey tonight, and you know it. It's so dark in here, you can barely see in front of you. Darkness moans and groans. Your heart is beginning to race. Then there's a strobe light. Bright flashes of light, on, off, on, off. You get a glimpse of a man. A man with a chainsaw? Run! Your partner decided to do the every man for himself. Thanks a lot. Now your heart is pumping out of your chest when suddenly, Freddy, Freddy Krueger, jumps out with you with his gleaming steel talons. Then he takes a swat at you, missing you by an inch. He laughs. Ha, ha, ha. No worries. I'll get you tonight in your dreams. Run, little girl, run. I'm running, I'm running. You're running as if your life depends on it. And as you meet the finish line, you think, did everyone else make it out alive? You look around. Yeah, wow. Wow, that was fun. I did it. I made it through. I made it through the impossible. You feel like you just climbed a mountain. You're so pleased with yourself. That was fucking awesome. How do these two topics, Halloween haunts and dominance and submission, relate? It's all about psychological fear. (laughs) The chemicals and hormones that our bodies put out when we're afraid. When you get scared, what happens? Your heart rate increases to pump more blood to your muscles and your brain. Your lungs take in air faster to supply your body with oxygen. The pupils in your eyes get larger to see better. And your digestive and urinary system slow down so you can concentrate on the situation at hand. All of these changes in our bodies are preparing us for acuity and performance. It's the adrenaline that kicks in. Adrenaline? Adrenaline is a hormone that's secreted by, of course, your adrenal glands. When I say stressed, I mean it gets released during what you perceive as a dangerous moment or a trigger. It will increase the heart rate and blood pressure, also expanding the air passages of the lungs, enlarging those pupils. This hormone will actually redistribute blood to the muscles, giving you that fight-or-flight response and can elevate fear and arousal. People can be brought together by emotional intense situations. A dangerous or fear-based situation is more memorable to people and even enjoyable. I'm sure you've heard of those adrenaline junkies. This describes people who love skydiving and other extreme sports or activities. You know the movie from a few years back? Point Break, the Swayze remake? That movie's about a group of people who like what we're talking about. For these people, adrenaline generates a feeling of exhilaration that continues after the threat has passed. For some people, that rush becomes a reward. The brain continues to seek higher and higher fear for a higher payoff. Intense fear, when experienced with other people, can be very memorable. We build a special closeness with those we are with when we're in that excited kind of state. You can get or give the exact feelings of adrenaline junkies after having a dominance and submission scene. Understand that in DSM there's a term. It's called the mindfuck. This element commonly used during playtime or scenes, even in communications between a submissive and a dominant. A mindfuck is an extremely confused experience, a particular one that is caused by deliberate psychological manipulation done by the dominant. This mindfuck causes fear, maybe a controlled one, but still there is fear mixed with adrenaline. You're excited, even scared. You're in your sir's hands. He has control and can stop the scene at any moment. But when the fear begins to subside. When it subsides, there is a secondary hormone release that causes a chemical aftermath that follows a rush of fear and adrenaline. It gives you the feeling of euphoria. Once your brain has processed the fear and realizes that you are safe, your fight or flight signals stop. And then the brain releases dopamine, the feel-good chemical. Dopamine will reduce your heart rate and slow your breathing. You experience a sense of relief, giving you the same feelings of pleasure 
that you get after a great... I know what you're going to say. Piece of pumpkin cheesecake. (laughs) No, no, that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say great sex or DS scene that you just had. It's a scientific fact that those who enjoy fear usually have higher levels of dopamine running through their brain. In other words, those who love to get scared out of their gourds are generally more sated and happier people. Halloween and DSM both allow you to safely experience the thrill of fear without any real threat. It's about understanding and using the right kind of fear, a controlled fear, under the right circumstances. An example might be, you're lost in the woods, being chased by a serial killer. You have no control. This is bad, right? Or, you're watching a serial killer chase someone else in a movie. It's totally controlled. Turn it off or shut your eyes, and it's gone. This is good. All of these haunted thrills also provide a boost of self-esteem. Back to LK, running through the haunted woods. (laughs) Lots of people enjoy scary situations. Just because when it's over, it leaves them with a sense of confidence or that dopamine that we're talking about. For the dominant, it's like being the director of a scary movie rather than an actual character. We get to orchestrate and observe the wild ride of emotions and pleasure that our submissives take while on their mindfuck adventure. Have you ever finished a a scene and felt as though you could move the earth on its axis? Like you're Superman, unstoppable? As dominants, we also get the same or a similar rush of adrenaline caused by our excitement and participation in the scene. The adrenaline causes that superhuman feeling that we get. However, much like the submissives, this will also be followed by a shot of dopamine, giving us an accomplished, more satisfied feeling, or the feeling of the cheesecake that LK was talking about earlier. I know as a submissive, after a DS scene, I have the feelings of accomplishment. I may have endured what I had never endured before, or it could have been a repeated scene, but I know all the while I have pleased my sir. That special mix of chemicals flowing, and you absolutely feel high. You come down after, get some aftercare, wake up from a small nap, and you feel it. That internal peace. You did it. You climbed that mountain. You have those badges of honor from the war, and the feelings of achievement are there. You feel quite pleased with yourself. Sound familiar? So whether you're running for your life or hanging from your ceiling on your tiptoes being flogged into a luscious fog, (laughs) the fear is there. The chemicals are there. Michael Myers may not be there, but the result would still be the same. You enjoyed yourself. You got closer emotionally with your partner. You may have been scared from the experience, but knowing you're safe in his hands, you made it to the finish line. You're more confident for it. So now you see how Halloween and DSM are truly related. Happy Happy and fearful fearful haunts, everyone. As I promised, those of you that made it till the end, (laughs) we have a special true story to tell you about our Halloween and NOLA last year. That's New Orleans, for those of you who don't know. So last year, uh, little Kanichin and myself went on a cruise, our first cruise ever. Yeah. I would say we had a, a great time, actually, when I think about the whole cruise. Whether the cruise ship itself was top-notch, I don't know. But would you not say the vacation was incredible? It was fabulous. Some of the greatest memories with, yes. some, with some great friends. Fabulous friends. And uh, when we came back from the cruise, LK and I really don't get to spend much time together alone anywhere away away from the house. So we decided we would spend Halloween or a couple of days alone in New Orleans. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we wanted to do, we, we kind of like to be spooky and do crazy things on Halloween. And we wanted to stay in an old downtown uh, hotel there in the French Quarter. So we got a room. And uh, we checked in, had never been there. It turned out to be a really spectacular place, I would say. Absolutely, absolutely. But when we walked in, I don't know if many of you know, but um, I can feel 
kind of like what I could say I feel see a spirit. I've been able to do it since I was probably about, I don't know, maybe five or six years old. So it, I could feel the spirit there when we walked in the door from the street. And of course, LK says this to me. And of course, my response is whatever. <laughs> so we end up going, uh, we stay upstairs. We take the elevator upstairs. And even though it's early morning or actually mid morning, early afternoon outside, it's really bright. The hallway is dim. Really dark. And keeps getting dimmer as we walk along this back hallway. First, we take the elevator to the second floor, which was all rickety. Is that a good description of it? Yeah, like the light fixtures are hanging from the ceiling, and there's a few fluorescents that are blinking. It was like a horror show. And I kept saying, our room better not be the end of the hallway because I can see down the hallway there's like this red dim light. And I'm thinking, my room better not be by that red light. Actually, before we got off the elevator, I mean, it's bringing back memories how the doors would kind of clink. And it was like a five minute elevator ride from the first floor to, to the, the second, second floor. floor. <laughs> and we're looking at each other. And LK is like, where have you brought me? And then as we exit the elevator, we make a right down a hallway. And all the rooms are to the left, but there's one. One single door. To the right. And it sort of is a hallway. It's like a little niche in the wall sort of right in the hallway and there's a red light no joke there's a red light above it and it's already dark and dim right it's something right out of a movie would you not say red rum like you literally i turned and said that better not be our room because we were looking for the room numbers and and i thought there's this odd room off to the right all by itself and a red light over top of it what would be What would be the chances that would be our room? And with LK's statement came our... uh, Room 225. Is that really what it was? Yes. I I don't remember, yeah. But it was right smack underneath the dim red light in the hallway. The only red light in the place, I think. Right. Right And it made the whole white door appear like it was the entrance to hell. (laughs) In fact, I think you may have said that before we entered the room, which, by the way, was a really nice room. Beautiful room. For a French Quarter, Beautiful it was all room. remade. Very these, New Orleans. Yep. These exposed wood beams across. In fact, I think it was a mill or something on the third yes. floor originally above the room. We did find out. Yes. Yeah, it was, the it was, noises. It's a really cool place. Mm-hmm. So go on. Okay. Tell a little bit of it. So we walk in the room and I can feel the spirit immediately. It's a male spirit and he's in the room and he's standing by the long, it had a very tall, tall ceiling. So they had these drapes that started way up high and came down kind of skinny, skinny windows. But um, I could fe- definitely feel that male energy and spirit and he would stand by the window and look out. And you know, like I, since I've been doing this since I was young, I just ignore the spirit until they give me a reason not to ignore it. And I do mention it to to Mr. Fox that I can feel a male spirit in the room. Who probably gives you more of a rough time about it than support. Well, you know, and then I then I go on. I'm not sure about the intention. Like I put feeler out to see if the intention what that is. And I'm really just getting like this wall like the spirit doesn't want to really tell me what it wants so of course mr fox starts saying oh what do you tell me what were you going to do to the spirit if it bothered us i don't remember but i remember something i think you said you're going to kick its ass that would probably be what i would say yeah something to the effect of i wouldn't have any tolerance to be bothered by a spirit yeah and then i go on to say (laughs) just like i normally do that you know, do not disrespect a spirit or you will be made to be sorry. So we just laughed about it. We looked around the room a little bit. We changed. We went to dinner and we went to this wonderful, like, Irish pub kind of place, right? And and we're just, you know, we, we've been creeped out. I'm getting creepy. As we got out of that room, 
I was already completely creeped out because I can see things and feel things that probably most people don't. And I'll say like, I wasn't really creeped out at all. Like, like my biggest thing is I stay in a lot of hotels and you know, it's, I, don't, I stay in mostly chain hotels. So it was cool to me to stay in a place that wasn't a chain hotel and have it be a nice place. Yeah, it was beautiful. I thought, I thought that was cool. So it, I, I was feeling all good. It was it was pretty nice, except for the red door. but Which I thought was sort of humorous at that point. Yeah, I wasn't humored by that. I could feel <laughs> what was behind the door. But, but anyway, so we went to dinner and we we're just sitting there having dinner. And the strangest thing happens. Let me set up the dinner first, though. Okay. So we're at a restaurant and it's all open, right? We're in New Orleans and... We're actually sitting in the restaurant, though, and like I would say that maybe there were shutters or doors that they would normally close if, if the restaurant was closed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's no glass or windows separating us at the time. We're sort of in the restaurant at a table for two. It's kind of romantic, right up against the sidewalk. And the whole, like, top part is open because it's uh, in the summer and it's warm. Very nice, very nice. So we're just sitting there, and you many times in, in New Orleans or NOLA, you'll see lots of horses and carts and people being towed around in them, and, you know, you see that all the time, and every time we go, I want to ride in one, and it's great. But we're just sitting there talking, I think before our meals actually got there. I don't know if our meals were there or not, but I look over, and for some reason... This horse looks right at me and it just turns and makes a beeline, like right in the middle of the street, turns sideways. Pulling a cart. Pulling with, the cart with, people in, with it. people in it. And it comes straight up to us and sticks his head through that window while we're having dinner. It was the weirdest feeling so, ever. So the horse and carriage has people in the carriage and the horse is standing on the sidewalk with its head over our table. And the carriage is like 90 degrees blocking the road. It was the strangest. It was a really strange feeling. It was almost like that movie with the horse head in your bed. Like that's what went through my head for whatever reason that I was like, oh man, this is not a good, like I love horses. I am a horse lady. I was going to say we have horses. We've yes. had horses for many years. So for us, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of cool that this horse would I almost felt like uh, realized that we're horse people. <laughs> like, hey. I yeah. didn't have that same feeling. Pet me. I had this strange, doomy feeling when that happened. It wasn't a positive feeling, but we thought we just looked at each other and thought, well, that was really strange yeah. because the cart person didn't say, oh, this happens all the time, or she doesn't. She doesn't say anything she to, speak us. A she word just, to us. Nobody did. Right. It was the weirdest thing. So we just kind of chalked that up to another cool experience in New Orleans at first, right? right? I, mean, I mean, where else do you go to a restaurant, sit down in the restaurant, and have a horse at your table? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So so we had a wonderful dinner. What we went back to the room. We walked around a little bit. You know, we enjoy all the ambiance of Halloween in New Orleans. If you haven't been, you must, must go. But, you know, we went back to the room and and decided that's, we were going to chill and probably have some good sex. And yes. And that's also why we got it. We got the hotel room there so we could walk around and just walk back and kind of have that whole experience and not not get a taxi or a lift or something like that. So we stayed right there in the French Quarter. It was fabulous. But yeah. but we get back and, you know, we change, I change into something a little sexy and we're kind of we turn on the television because as soon as I get back in that room. I feel there is more than there's something other than good intention there. So I'm a little freaked out. By the time we get in bed, I'm feeling like I cannot even like I am feeling so nervous. So she's saying there was no sex for me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we're getting to. Well, we honestly, well, I could feel it. And I kept like seeing these white flashes of light and we were watching tv i didn't say anything to mr fox about the white flashes i was seeing or the dark mist i saw come out of the bathroom because i can see these things and sometimes nothing happens so i don't really i try not to focus on that actually you did tell me about the mist later and i was spouting off about it right there Mm mm-hmm 
I got up, got to the... When LK sees something, she wants me to go check it out. So I got up, I was tired, thought we were going to sleep, enjoying a movie. So I got up, went over, turned the light on, got back in bed. Said a couple, another mean, mm-hmm. challenging the spirit again. Like, come on, man, give me a break here. I'm trying to watch TV. Yeah, well, in a few other choice words, <laughs> I don't think they were that polite. But I don't recall it So was we were watching TV and the strangest thing started happening. Right. Right. Like the strangest thing. I kind of started feeling sleepy and I would fall asleep for a second. Then I would wake up and we were sitting up in the bed, but I was scared at that point. I could tell that something was angry about us being there because the whole time we were laying there, I'd hear or we would hear these chains sounded like somebody hoisting something up with chains above us. And I got all excited. I was like, that wasn't the kind of change that I was excited about, but it was, was it was some noises, like somebody was working above us. But when you could look out and see that we were the top floor, so we were kind of wondering it had high ceilings. So there wasn't really attic space or anything that we knew of above us because you could look at, at the floors across the way and there's nothing above us, but Anyways, so we were kind of dozing off while we were watching this movie. Of course, it was like Halloween or something. So we were watching this movie and kind of dozing on and off. And it was really strange. I got really tired and I would fall asleep. And then like I'm sitting there and I all of a sudden I hear. And I'm like, it took me a second to realize it wasn't a dream or what was going on. But like I sit up and I look over at Mr. Fox. And he is, his lips are tight shut. His arms are down at his side, like somebody's holding them. And he is screaming and his eyes are open, like he's awake. And I just kept looking at him. And all of a sudden I was like, wait, he's not awake. Cause he, I was like, hey, mister, get up, get up, get up. I kept shaking him. And then finally I'm like, I think he's asleep, but he's, he's screaming. But his mouth is sealed shut. So this took about, it seemed like it took like, oh, 15 minutes, but it was probably minutes it for se- me to wake him up. It seemed like a long time for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> so finally he does actually like wake up, even though his eyes are open and he is screaming, but his lips are sealed shut. And I knew exactly what it was. And I don't know if anybody else watches paranormal shows, but that is called sleep paralysis. And spirits are known to do that to people that challenge them. Okay, so my take on it is, uh, I don't know, like I want to be a believer, but I just don't really know, right? So I had a bad dream. With your eyes open, and you told me something had your arms, and in you were telling it that you were going to kick its ass, that you were, that you, to let you go. You knew something had you. In my dream it did, yeah. But But your eyes were open. It's it's funny, and if, if you would know my personality, like, I don't know what most people would do, but in the beginning, I was a little nervous when this was happening. I felt like something was getting me in my dream, and I felt like I couldn't move, and then I felt as though it was a spirit in my dream that had me, and then after a couple minutes, when I realized it wasn't hurting me in my dream, I told it to go fuck itself, and that I was going to kick its ass and all kinds of crazy things in my dream, but... uh I was almost like laughing and seriously challenging it at that point. Um, so the big question is, was it a dream? Was it really a dream? Like, like I want to be a believer, you know, but like, is, was that my experience? Like, was it like, how can you not be a believer now? Was it a dream or did it really happen? Cause that truly happened to me just like that. And when LK and I, when I woke up, and we started talking about it. The truth is, is I also, before I went to sleep, LK saw that mist in the bathroom, which was off to our left. And she also had seen a couple white lights spin at the top of the ceiling toward the door that had the red light over it. And I saw that too, which I didn't tell her. I just made fun of her. But I actually felt as though I might have seen those white lights as well. They're like quick little flashes of white. Um and spinning yeah so we 
So we both, I didn't say anything to him because he had never mentioned before of ever seeing anything like that. So when we started comparing notes and after those sleep paralysis happened, you know, we woke up that next morning. Like, I don't know if I slept the rest of the night, to tell you the truth. I stayed up watching all kinds of scary stuff, but I was scared. And I... I could I can get spooked, but I'm hardly ever that scared because I thought it's gonna get me when I go to sleep. So I was needless to say I don't think I slept the rest of the night, but we got up the next morning. I went right back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. And again, there was no sex that night. I was scared there was to death. No sex. Yes. I have to say. But um so the next morning we got up, had breakfast, and straight to the voodoo shop. They have a couple really great voodoo shops there. And we got a few um, saging protection candles for the room. And we thought, I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to use these. I mean, it couldn't hurt us, right? So we went the next, you know, we didn't go back to the room most of the day because I was just so scared, you know, and I'm, I can take a lot of spooky stuff, but this thing's intentions in that room he did not want us in that room. He was making it totally clear that he did not appre- appreciate Mr. Fox's dominance at yes. all. He wanted to be the dominant being in that room. So, you know, we burnt the candles that night. Nothing happened. There was something weird about burning the candle. I don't remember what it was, but they either burnt down enough. Few, something about burning that candle was unusual. The... um. The, the flames were going really high at first. Like we started burning it and remember the flame would get really high and I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, let's trim the wick or whatever. So we trim the wick, but the flames would like shoot yeah. up, shoot up, yeah, you know, really high. And, um, but we've had other saging candle issues here at our own home. So, but you know, the flame just kept shooting up, but we burnt that candle and we did it safely, of course, but we, we burnt those candles and nothing, absolutely nothing happened in that room for the rest of the night. Yeah, and she means nothing. Like I didn't get laid, like nothing <laughs> happened in that room the rest of the it, night. I'm sorry, like, but like my like, vagina was so scared along with me like, that she like hid. She like was like, nothing. she was like, oh, I'm too scared to do anything in here because there was a third party in there and he was not happy to have us. So, so anyway, so then like I kept saying, we have to tell these people at the hotel that there is something wrong. Right. And of course I refused, right? Like they're going to think I'm crazy. I'm not. And I kept telling her, okay, that and she was insisting. We got to tell them. We got to tell them it's haunted. That room is haunted. And I kept telling, okay, okay, no way. I'm not going up there and telling them anything like that. That's crazy. So then as we were waiting for a lift, to come and pick us up and take us to the airport. We're standing in the lobby area and I begin to read some of the articles. They had articles that were framed in picture frames and hung on the wall. And these articles were talking about this particular hotel was the most haunted hotel in New Orleans. It talked about how um, it was a working mill. mill. It was a mill. Originally, and that, that people floor. do hear the sounds of chains and people working upstairs, even though there is no upstairs because that is now the second floor of the hotel and it goes in a U shape. Like I said, you could look out and see the into the rooms beside you, and that was the top of the roof line. So we were not the only ones who ever heard the um chains rattling the lights the black mist people have seen people in the hallway like it went the list went on and on and on and we had no idea that it was one of the most haunted hotels in new orleans you hear that no do you hear that it's a ghost so anyway, so every we've had events, but we have these great experiences with everyone and, and great time. And we're so sad because of COVID this year, we cannot have an event or we can't go to NOLA this year. But hopefully next year, Halloween 2021, we will 
see Nola again. And I want to say, too, because we really like New Orleans and we like that creepy, scary kind of Halloween effect. And was it the year prior or two years ago where we actually were at Bloody Mary's and did a seance with the... Um, 2017. With the gathering, with an actual, I mean, a large group of uh, DSM people. Yeah. Right? Couples. Yeah. So. It was 2017. Big event. It was It was really fabulous. And you know what's completely utterly insane right this minute do you smell anything candles burning i mean do you smell it absolutely like it almost makes me want to check to see if something's burning but it doesn't smell like anything burning it smells like a candle blown out to me yep doesn't, does, doesn't smell like a fire. It doesn't smell. But I mean, do you smell it? Am I crazy? Absolutely. No, it almost smells like a saged candle. Yeah. Doesn't it? I sw- All of a sudden. I swear it does. I know that everybody's going to think that I'm making that up. But uh, I'm still the non-believer. I think no matter what happens to me, even if I came face to face with one, I'd probably walk away and somehow uh, make a realization or justify it in my mind and still be what I would call a non-believer. But I swear I smell a candle. I know I've been smelling it and I just didn't think about it until you said that. So that's really for about three, four minutes, like right toward the end of this. Right. When I started smelling. So, okay. We're crazy. So we, I guess we're signing off with a warning. NOLA is the best place to celebrate Halloween. And we so hope to see all of you there in 2021, along with all the ghosties and vampires and things that go boo in the night. And if something does get you in your sleep, you can kick its ass. Trust me. Good night, everyone.